everyone, and welcome to Gamers on the Go, Episode 4. This episode, we're going to be talking about Kirby's Dreamland 1 and Kirby's Dreamland 2. Today, my guest is Tyler Fromm. Say hello, Ty. Hello. Ty is one of my good old friends from high school, middle school, elementary school, and uh, but now college, so it's great. Um, he and I have been friends a long time, and we've been gamers a long time, and Kirby has always been a game that we've uh, we've been able to share. Well, that and Pokemon. Oh, yeah. But uh, Pokemon Show, I'd show, that's going to be a monster. I don't know when I'm going to do that, but um, that will be that will definitely be a show. Anyway, this show is about Kirby, uh, specifically Kirby's Dreamland 1 and Kirby's Dreamland 2, which were two of the first Kirby games. Dreamland 1 was actually the first Kirby game. Uh, Kirby's Dreamland 2 came out a little after um, Kirby's Adventure came out for the NES. But we'll get to that uh, in a bit. But first... I think we should talk about just who and what is Kirby, because uh, that'll help us go into the origin of how Kirby Kirby came to be, which will then push us right into Kirby's Dreamland 1. So when we're thinking about who and what is Kirby, there isn't a whole lot of information. Nintendo actually kind of likes to keep it ambiguous, uh, because he kind of had these ambiguous origins. Kurt, what we know is that Kirby is male. It has been said that he is male, even though he doesn't really look Male again, very ambiguous. Pink shoes throw it off. Yeah, it's yeah, it's weird. Anyway, so Kirby hails from Dreamland. That's his home. Uh, Dreamland is on the planet of Popstar. That's really all we know. <laughs> and Kirby is eight inches tall, and that information we get according to a Smash Brothers trophy, which doesn't seem to be super accurate. We don't really have anything to to weigh it against. I mean, I, I guess in Smash Brothers, he's definitely taller than eight inches when he's fighting somebody like Mario or Link. Yeah. He's about but, as tall as Pikachu, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, I don't know the official size on <laughs> Pikachu. I, there is one, because I know the Pokedex is a lot crap. <laughs> you are making that bullshit up. <laughs> but, um, but he definitely has to be taller than eight inches, I would think. I guess it just kind of changes from game to game. He flies on ships and things. He, he can't just be... And then Smash Brothers, that canon mythos crap that well, Smash Brothers is all fighting with dolls anyway, according to the first one, so who knows Maybe he's how to scale of the other dolls. Very, very much could be. So that's interesting. Also, Kirby has no definite age. He's described as young, though, but it's not really sure... Some games kind of depict Kirby as as more of this alien kind of thing that comes down. Uh, other games have multiple Kirbys. Uh, I know with Kirby's Mass Attack or Kirby and the Amazing Mirror, uh, there are plenty of other ones. But there are tons, there are even other games where there are just tons of Kirbys that come out. Even in Dreamland 1 and Dreamland 2, I think actually pretty much most Kirby games, when you finish a level there will be a bunch of Kirbys that come out and dance. Mm-hmm. And those are, like Yoshi, all Kirby. Kirby is the species, but then this Kirby is the one true Kirby, so he's known as Kirby. Kirby is his name. Yes, I, that's... I, again, as the show goes, super, Kirby, Kirby, Super Kirby. ambiguous. I'm pretty sure that Nintendo just at one point had to backtrack and go, well, they're they're all Kirbys. And we don't know. Don't worry about it. Shut up. Take our take the games. Give us some money and money. and calm down. Anyway, that is all we really know about Kirby. 
as far as his physical appearance and, and gender and size and any of that stuff. So let's get into Dreamland 1 and talk about more of the origins of how he came to be and all of that stuff. So Kirby's Dreamland 1, which was released in Japan and North America in 1992, is the very first appearance of Kirby and the very first game that Kirby was ever in. It's designed by Masahiro Sakurai, who's a name that you would find familiar if you've listened to the last show, because he was also a driving force for Q Entertainment when uh, they were making Medios. Uh, you would also know him from Smash Brothers. He is the, the mastermind behind that and is now working on the new Smash Brothers and has worked on all the previous Smash Brothers before. And he also made Kid Icarus, uh, Kid Icarus Uprising, sorry. Not the original Kid Icarus, but the one for 3DS. Kirby was actually originally was a stand-in character. Uh, that I mean, the, dev- the developer was HAL Laboratories. I should probably say that first. Uh, this was the one that Sakurai was kind of running. He no longer is the head of HAL Laboratories. Also, Satoru Iwata, who is the now president of Nintendo Japan, he worked at HAL Laboratories before with Sakurai. I believe, actually, on these Kirby games, uh, he he had some input on these things, and he was actually working on them. But they had this little ball character that was just this little blob with shoes as just a standing character until they could find something a little more complex and sophisticated. They hadn't decided on a, on a real main character. But as they played, as they were playing builds of it and were making things happen, the developers kind of grew to love Kirby and just, like, he was so endearing as a little little football, and I think that's actually what's happened to him as a character for consumers, too. That He's just this little ball of fluff, but he's... Kind of the everyman. They added arms, and the rest is history. <laughs> Definitely, but with his with his copy ability that he's ended up getting, he's he's turned into this jack of all trades, and he's really just all things to all people, which I think is really added to his appeal. But his name wasn't always Kirby. His original name was actually Po Po Po, one word, P O P O P O. Uh, which kind of makes sense when you think about his enemy being DDD, D-E-D-E-D-E, um, that these were these were names that they came up with. It's, it's Japan. I don't know. Um, and actually, Kirby's Dreamland was originally going to be called Twinkle Popopo, uh, but it later got changed. In Japan, Kirby is a, the original Kirby's Dreamland is known as Kirby of the Stars, which kind of feeds into that maybe he's an alien kind of thing, but then again, he's also been said that he's from Dreamland, which could be considered because Pop Star is technically a star. Don't worry about Kirby's background history because it doesn't really matter in in the grand scheme of things. But, uh, but the name eventually got changed to Kirby from Twinkle Po Po Po, and... What's what's kind of interesting is how he got that name Kirby. There isn't actually a definite story. There's been interviews where they've talked to Sakurai, and he says he's actually forgotten what the what the reason was and, and doesn't know why he's called Kirby anymore. But there are two prevalent theories that keep going around. One is that Kirby is the name of an American vacuum corporation, and that ties in really well with Kirby's signature move of sucking things in. And the other one is that there was a lawyer named John Kirby... And he helped Nintendo beat a copyright infringement lawsuit from Universal Studios about the name Donkey Kong. And this had to do with King Kong the movie and and while these things were coming out and whether some copyright was being infringed upon. And Jack Kirby, 
or sorry, not Jack Kirby. He worked on Spider-Man and other Marvel stuff. John Kirby, the lawyer, helped to uh, help Nintendo beat that. So another theory is that they named Kirby in his honor. Either way, that is how we now have the name Kirby and how that's come to be. Now, as for one of Kirby's big characteristics, his pink color, that wasn't always the case. Uh, the dev team couldn't actually decide on what color Kirby should be. Sakurai wanted pink. He always wanted pink. Uh, Miyamoto gave some input, and he thought Kirby should be yellow. I guess is more of a kind of not so much a, a color associated for, for girls. None of this really mattered because they're on the Game Boy system, which is monochrome, and he was only going to be white and black, which actually tied into what happened with Nintendo of America when they tried to market this game. They they didn't know what the color was going to be because Sakurai and Miyamoto were, I wouldn't say fighting, but they were definitely debating on what color he should be. Nintendo of America said, well, he's white and black in the game. Let's make him white and black in the box. And, and that's why we, the Kirby's Dreamland box has a black and white Kirby because Nintendo of America doesn't know what they're doing. Which hopefully has changed. I think. I think Reggie with, with Reggie, he takes names and kicks asses, right? That's that's his. Well, they still added angry eyebrows to the GBA Kirby. Yeah, so not convinced that they know what they're doing. There's, yeah, there's a little too much angry eyebrows going on with Kirby. Um, which it's that is one of the coolest things when you're talking about box art and how box art changes between. Japan and America, or Japan and America and Europe. There's a great Tumblr that actually does, uh, that actually shows a bunch of different box arts from from different games, and you can see how things like like Resident Evil was Biohazard over there, and how those box art changes. How Japan is okay having something a little more maybe artsy on the cover, and with America, it's more we need to show the main character in the very center of the screen. He needs to be looking. Explosions everywhere. Yeah, explosions, or in the case of Kirby, whereas how can we market this little pink cutesy puffball? Well, let's make him angry and give him some attitude. And it's a really interesting case study on the way you would market a game from from Japan to America. I think Germany took off one of the thumbs on Left 4 Dead. Yes, yeah, there was a there was definitely a thing, yeah, because it, it wasn't actually considered a hand then, and it wasn't as... I don't know how it made it less gross, but it, it yeah, it changed. Or it added, did it did add, it add the, thumb? the thumb? I think Not it sure. added the thumb, so then it, it wasn't as disfigured. And uh, I remember Dragon Quest Nine, a game that you and I both love, that that one was changed in America, that now, like, the sword is is bent in a weird way. One of the main character's sword is, is bent slightly um, when you bent between the... Uh, the title of the of the game, Dragon Quest Nine's up there, but that sword bends in a weird way, and it covers the covers like the main girl on the yeah. cover's breasts, yeah. and in the other one, it's like they're it's not like they're exposed, but there's like a little more cleavage there on the on the Japanese version. Mm-hmm. So to make it more family friendly, I guess friendly. they they bent the sword into an impossible situation if you look at it closely. Anyway, that's Dragon Quest IX. We're talking about Kirby. So they cha- they finally decided upon the pink color. Kirby, Kirby, and um, the box art for Japan was pink, and now he's been pink ever since. But you can see that that's that the the origins of Kirby kind of has had a bit of an effect on 
the the future games that we have yellow Kirby's and red Kirby's and blue Kirby's in something like Smash Brothers and then other other Kirby games like Amazing Mirror and um, uh, there's another one that's like Amazing Mirror that wasn't very good either and I don't remember it anyway um, I'll I'm sure I'll put it in the show notes anyway so now that we've talked about the color and his name and his size and his age and all that crap. Let's get into Kirby's Dreamland. So it's kind of a simple game, I would say. At this point, he doesn't have his copy ability. That doesn't come until Kirby's Adventure, and then it's continued in Kirby's Dreamland 2. But in this one, it's just sucking in enemies and shooting them back out. And points. Mm-hmm. Swallowing stuff, getting points. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's definitely an easy, easier game. That's one of the things that Kirby's kind of ended up being known for is that it's uh, it's actually something that it started out as, that when HAL Laboratories was making these games and Sakurai had the idea for Kirby, he wanted a platformer for beginners, something to bridge a casual player to something like Mario. And Mario definitely is very intuitive and, and makes sense for especially our age group when we grew up started playing it, but maybe for the uninitiated that Kirby is something a little bit easier and... It's more definitely more forgiving, especially with his ability to float at any time and just mm-hmm. fly around, which really makes those games a little ridiculously easy at some points. Uh, sometimes they give you a lot of flying enemies that come right at you that kind of make it easier if you stayed on the ground. But honestly, you can fly by quite a bit of, of both of these games. Despite despite that easiness and the simplicity of it, these, act, these games actually ended up scoring pretty well. Kirby's Dream Land 2 scored a bit higher, probably due to that, probably due to all the gameplay changes that they made, and we'll get into that more when we get into Dream Land 2. Um, but Dream Land 1 actually still did well. I, it's one of the... It, I think it actually is still the, the biggest selling Kirby game. I think when I saw it, it had something like 5 million, maybe, total? Um, I would have to look up that again. Again, it'll be in the show notes if I'm wrong. Um, but they garnered positive reviews, then. They were actually pretty good. Uh, Ty, what what did you think more of Dreamland 1? Like, any any opinions just on the game itself? Um, definitely the music was better in it. Uh, I think the backgrounds were a little better. The clouds were more detailed. I mean, I know that's not a big deal, but... But when you only get two colors, <laughs> white oh, that, and black... And it was the first game to come out, so that, that the backgrounds are better than Dreamland 2 is kind of sad a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And you did mention the music, uh, and I think uh, I'm going to jump on that, because Kirby's Dreamland 1 and Kirby's Dreamland 2 are done by two different composers. The composer for Dreamland 1 was Jun Ishikawa, and he actually has been composing for most of the mainline Kirby games. Uh, and he's been doing it from Dreamland 1, the very beginning, to Kirby's Return to Dreamland for the Wii, which was the latest release for it, uh, until that Kirby Dreamland, or Dr- Kirby Dream Collection, whatever comes out for, for Nintendo, honoring the 20th uh, anniversary, I believe, of Kirby. Yes, 20th, because, yeah, anyway. Everyone's turning 20. <laughs> um so, but Juni Ishikawa did not work on Dreamland 2, and I think it really shows the the music. There, it's very limited when you're Simplistic. on 
and and we'll I guess we can kind of we'll we'll just talk about this right now. But when you're in Kirby's Dreamland Two, you have those three animal companions, and if you're ever on one of them, you get the same animal theme anytime you're no matter where you are. It doesn't change anything. It just changes whether you're on an animal or whether you're regular Kirby. And it really limits the music choices. And even some music is just lifted straight from Kirby's Dream Land 1. I believe the the first theme, I could be wrong about that, but I think the first theme on Green Greens is the same exact song. And I know for a fact that when you're fighting DDD, the DDD theme is the exact same song. Which I have no problem with, because I think that's actually probably one of the best boss themes in all the video games. And I actually can't think of anything better. Ty, can you think of any boss themes that you might like better than than Kirby's Dreamland uh, DDD? That's tough. I'd, I'd say Persona 4, the final, final boss of that, it's pretty amazing. Yeah? But that's something you'd have to actually, like, can't, you'd have to play through the entire game to actually get the true, the whole feeling from that. I mean, DDD, you can listen to it in any setting, mm-hmm. on a brawl stage or anything like that, and it would work. So, it's more versatile that way. Okay. Uh, well, I know other other great boss themes are, like, the Chrono Trigger theme. Uh, I, I don't think the Chrono Trigger, Chrono, yeah, Chrono Trigger boss theme is necessarily the best. I do think Chrono Trigger has a lot of great music to it, but I've always loved the DDD music, and uh, well, I'll play a little bit here. And uh, you guys can decide for yourselves if you think it's better. So now that we're, let's talk more about Dreamland 1. Um, since Ty's given his, a couple of his opinions, I'll give a few of mine. I, for a little bit of background, I own Dreamland 2 and have never owned Dreamland 1. So when I first played Kirby, it was Dreamland 2. And I got all the benefits of seeing what they got, what they did from a sequel and how they fixed a lot of things or improved a lot of things from the first game. So when I actually did go back and finally play Dreamland 1, uh, which I did. My my cousin had it, and I had some friends who had it, and I was able to play it that way. And then I, I've eventually ended up buying it um, at like a, a used game shop and, and now have it in my collection. But when I first played it, it felt so weird. Like, so many things that were just things that I would always do in Dreamland 2 you couldn't do. When you suck up two enemies, and you can still suck up two enemies in Dreamland 1... It doesn't change what you fire back out. In Dreamland 2, you'll get a, a powered-up star that will uh, blow through any enemies, and it can hit multiple enemies across the screen. 
in and if you're if you second one enemy and spit them out, it only hits the first thing that it hits and, and then it's over. That's the only thing you can do in Dreamland. And it kind of limits Kirby's ability to to even do his most basic power of sucking and spitting things out. And it kind of makes... If it if the game wasn't so super easy to begin with, it would make it a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. But because the game is pretty easy, it's really not something you ever really worry about, but it is something that really, really annoyed me. Um, another thing that I found interesting is Wispy Woods. I, I love the Wispy Woods boss battle. We'll talk about it later when we're talking about more of Kirby bosses in general. But... I, I think that's probably the best Wispy Woods battle, even though they're all basically the same. Pretty close. But I, I like that one because the Wispy is, is so much bigger than he ever appears in, in 2. In 2, he's like a small tree. <laughs> and, a little shrub. And like his little apples only come off the one part of the tree. And in this one, the tree spans the entire boss stage, and the apples can really fall anywhere. Now, he doesn't have the little root spikes that he gets in Dreamland 2, and he doesn't shoot off his, his own little puffballs of air uh, at Kirby nearly as often. But uh, it, it is definitely one of the... It's one of the most iconic bosses, I think, in all of gaming. It's probably not something that people would rush to... It probably wouldn't be something that would rush to mind as somebody's first thought on, like, what's the most iconic boss in gaming? I'm sure Bowser would probably be up there. But, uh, or maybe even Robotnik. But Wispy is very solid, and he's he's always a great first boss, and I always love seeing him. And he's, he's never bored me at all when I've ever played him. The second boss, though, for Kirby's Dream Land, has to be one of my least favorite boss fights, again, in all of gaming. It is... So, I just feel like it's broken. And coming from Dreamland 2, which I think makes a huge difference. When you're coming from Dreamland 2, you have some different power, different ideas of what you can do. Like, when you are when you suck up an enemy and you press down in Dreamland 1, or in Dreamland 2, and it's not a copy ability enemy, it's just like a vanilla enemy, it, Kirby just swallows him. And that... Basically is the same for Kirby's Dream Land 1, but when you're on a platform that you can jump down from, like a like a little bridge or something like that, there are a few surfaces that you can jump down from. That you can still do that with an enemy in your mouth in Dreamland 1, but you can't do that in Dreamland 2. So to play this second boss, and I should probably say the boss's name, it is Lola Lo and La La La. Again, kind of a nod to, to Kirby's original name. And then it also actually is a big nod to Hal, Hal Laboratory's own Adventures of Lolo series. Uh, because Lolo and Lolo Lo are pretty much the same character. I, they actually are the same character, but they just have that extra low for Kirby. Again, probably because of the the po 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 ddd thing. Weird. Anyway, this boss fight is... If you've played two, it just doesn't feel right. Because you need to, to suck in these boxes that they kick as they go across the screen. And then you need to get out of their way. Because they're even though they don't have the box they're pushing, they're still coming right at you. So you either need to jump up or jump down. And you can't always jump up because it's only so high. But when you jump down... 
you can keep that box in your in your mouth, and you could never do that in something like Dreamland Two. So for me playing it, it it always just feels weird, and I don't know I don't know what I'm doing. And I try to to suck up the box and shoot it right at them, and if you do that, it's going they're going to hit you, and you have no recourse of action. But in Dreamland Two, they actually and, I, and again I'm sorry that I'm kind of jumping to Dreamland Two from Dreamland One, but they fix this. They have that same style of boss fight. It's still the second boss. Wispy's still the first. And then the same idea, but it's not Lolo Lolo and La La La. It's Nruff and Nelly, which are two boars. Nruff is very big, and then Nelly's a little small one that, that follows him. But when you fight Nruff and Nelly, it's the same type of stage, except now, instead of having some little bridges where you can fall down or jump up through, it's all those kind of bridges. And it has three holes where you can see that the bridges have actually broken in the pixel art that they have that you can just fall down. And that makes it, that actually changes it completely. And Nruff, like the, the Nelly, which basically functions as the box that you'd get from Lolo Lolo and La 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 in Dreamland 1, uh, Nelly follows Nruff instead of being pushed in front. So you're able to take it away from behind him and shoot him without without worrying about anything. And the boss fight just makes more sense. And I know it's kind of hard without being able to see what these images look like. Hopefully I'll be able to find some images of, of the different bosses and put them on the Tumblr so you can actually see the difference. But it it's such a little game design tweak. If you just saw the images, you'll go, eh, they look pretty similar. I don't I don't know what his deal is. But when you play them... And when you see just the little, when you feel those differences of playing, man, this makes so much more sense. It's so much more intuitive. It functions so much better with the with the game's mechanics. It's a much smoother boss fight. It it's so much better. I actually I love the boss fight in Dreamland Two with Nruffinelli. I think that one's great. And even though Lolo Lo and La 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 is basically the same, ninety eight percent the same. That two percent changes everything, and it yeah. makes it one of the most frustrating boss fights I've ever played, and I hate it. <laughs> hate it. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting a little. I'm getting way too caught up in this, uh, so I should just move on to something else. Uh, the water in Kirby's Dream Land. There aren't a whole lot of water places, but where there where there is water in Kirby's Dream Land, there is frustration because you are completely vulnerable in water which is something that, again, gets changed in Dreamland 2 because you get a bubble attack if you have nothing. If you And you, when you have your copy abilities, you can do them slightly diminished unless you have the fish, which, again, we'll get into when Dreamland 2 gets talked about. But, um, but you're not completely vulnerable in water like you are in Dreamland 1. In fact, Dreamland 1 goes so far as to obscuring your vision. There are these tiny little stars that are all... that are in the water, and... They cover up Kirby when you are swimming through them. And you can't really see Kirby that well, and you can't do anything as Kirby. And I don't remember ever seeing an enemy in any of these waters, but it always made for a really frustrating experience because it just didn't make any sense to me. Why would you even have water if... if No enemies. Yeah, if if there's nothing to ever... Nothing to explore. If there's nothing to explore, if there's no real physical reason why it should be in there, just cut the water. 
it add it added nothing to the game, and in fact, it just made me frustrated because you can't do anything. You can't even float through the water. You just can kind of jump. It's not swimming. You just kind of jump until you're out of it, and then you run away from it as far as you can because it is awful. Again, all of this gets fixed in Dreamland 2, so when we get to that, I will gush about it completely. Um, and then they kind of, it's kind of the precursor to Kirby's abilities that he gets in something like Adventure or Dreamland 2 or any of the abilities that he eventually gets in any of his future games. But he does have a couple of power-ups that you can get in Dreamland 1. One of them is the Spicy Curry, which has Kirby shooting fireballs, um, and you can just keep pressing the fireball button until he until you run out of that time. And I think there's a theme that might go along with it of a song uh, that tells you kind of like an invincibility star of how long you still have that power. And it only shows up once or twice during the entire game, which is a short game. It is a game that you can beat in an hour if you're just doing okay. If if you're really trying, I don't even know what the speed runs are, but I'm sure you could probably get it under 45 minutes if you tried. And I'm sure it's probably even much lower than that, and I'm just really bad at Kirby, even an easy one. But um, the Spicy Curry only shows up once or twice, and even during the times that it shows up, it's not super useful in getting you across the stage, and probably it would just be easier just to fly over most of those enemies that you see that you would have to time your fireballs. And it's it's a really weak fireball attack if you're used to a game like Dreamland 2 where the fireballs make a whole lot more sense. Unless you're with Keen the Fish, uh, his fireball attack is somewhat similar. It's, it's just kind of weak. Um, so I don't really like Spicy Curry. Although I do love Spicy Curry when it's used as an item in Smash Brothers Brawl. It, it um, just showed up in that game. It hasn't been in any, in any of the other ones, but it... It's a power-up that gives you fireballs that shoot up, down, and in front, um, and can help you combo a lot, and then I love that power. It, it forces your character to run completely. You can't walk. It always sprints, but uh, it's definitely a cool move to use and helps you for combos and helps to keep people off ledges, and uh, and I always love Spicy Curry from there, but it has these really mundane roots of being in Kirby's Dreamland, and it was, really, it was a really disappointing power-up. There's another power-up that is a mint leaf, that causes Kirby to um, get in his blown-up floating um, state, and then he will shoot infinite puffballs. He doesn't run out of puffball things that you would shoot out when you're doing the the floating. And that just kind of means that you're going to be doing a side-scrolling shooter part of the game, similar to Super Mario Land if you've been playing with the plane, or or I guess even the the submarine is, is a similar... And you just shoot across the screen. There are a couple... There's a boss there that you fight. I believe his name is Kablue. <laughs> Something like that. It's really just a Shotzo, which is the cannon on a on some kind of dirigible blimp-looking thing. And he shoots at you, and you shoot back, and you avoid his bullets. And it's very, <laughs> very basic. But even though it was kind of enjoyable, it just wasn't... It didn't feel like Kirby. Mm-hmm. And it felt it just felt weird when you were playing it. I'm sure it was a way to break up break up the way the normal way you would play Kirby, but that's something you really I guess needed in Dreamland One because you had no copy abilities or anything you could really do other than just the 
very simple platforming and and sucking and shooting enemies. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, uh, like I said before, the DDD boss fight music is is I think one of the best boss themes ever. And you heard it before in this podcast, so you'll either agree or disagree with me. And feel free to uh, to mention that to us, and I'll give you all the, the information on how to mention it to us uh, at the end of the show. So, Ty, uh, unless you have any note, any more notes on Dreamland 1, you want to just jump right into 2? On to Dreamland 2. All right, let's talk about a really, really great game. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, Dreamland 2 was released in 1995 in both Japan and America. Uh, it brought the copy abilities of Kirby's Adventure to Game Boy. Uh, it added the new mechanic of having these three animal companions. There is Rick the Hamster, and his ability, he runs a little faster than Kirby can, and he doesn't slip on ice, which really only appears in the fourth world, and not even that much in there. Yeah, so not too much. It, it's not an ability you really need to use that often. It is something nice, though, that Kirby can't do or any of the other animal companions can't really do. Um, so it, it, it's a nice touch to give Rick a little bit of validity. Uh, there's Koo the Owl, which, I mean, he's an owl, he flies, and he can fly faster than Kirby when he's floating. Um, and there are lots of times where there are strong winds blowing in Kirby's Dreamland 2, and Koo can help you fight against that air current uh, to get you to secret areas or just normal areas that you would have a harder time getting to if you were in the regular state of Kirby. Um, and then there is Keen the Ocean Sunfish. It might be Keen A, might be Kine, I don't know, but I'm going to say Keen because that's how I decided to say it. <laughs> anyway, um, but he swims faster than Kirby can. He can go against uh, water currents, and then he can use all of his powers underwater, whereas... If you're playing as Kirby or either a, either Koo or Rick, when you're underwater, their powers get kind of their copy ability powers get a little bit weakened, a little bit diminished. Keen's never never a problem. He can do all of his underwater, and they don't lose anything. In fact, I think a couple of his attacks actually get weaker on land, <laughs> like uh, like his fireball. I think it it goes away a little quicker unless it's. Which is weird that his underwater fireball is better than his on-land fireball. It's going by SpongeBob rules, <laughs> I guess. Uh, Keen's Keen's kind of weird, um, but each of those care, each of those um, animal companions has their own uh, their own advantages, like I mentioned, and then they get their own set of copy abilities. So even though, and I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna screw this up. I believe there are eight different abilities that Kirby can get in Dreamland Two. So it's more like 24 when you consider that each animal would have its own set of eight and Kirby his own. So uh, we'll get into favorite powers later, but uh, that's something to mention. First, let's talk about animal companions. Ty, do you have a favorite animal companion or one that you used a lot or any thoughts on the animals? I was always a fan of Rick because we had hamsters as a, as a, a kid when this game came out. So uh, he's not the best. He's not even that good, but he's my favorite, and he has shoes like Kirby. Did you have a hamster named Rick? No, I think mine. I think I named mine Butterfinger. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I I love Rick. I, I think he's a great uh, a great idea. Uh, and when you're picking up the Game Boy box of Kirby's Dreamland Two, and you have it in your hands, and you see 
Kirby's riding Rick, yeah. and he looks so happy. I was like, I want to be like that. I want to be riding some giant hamster and, and having the time of my life. So I loved Rick until I play as Rick. And I can't find a use for that guy. Like we mentioned before, there's rarely any ice that you don't ever slip on with Rick. Quote, unquote, don't slip on with Rick. Um, just because it just doesn't happen very often. And I feel like most of his copy abilities are weaker than than regular Kirby's. Yeah, he's basically a second life bar for Kirby. Yeah, he definitely is. Uh, which is a which is a handy thing that the animals have their own life bars and uh, independent of Kirby's, and and they're able to. Uh, that's what I actually think I use most of the animals for. In in most cases, is that you just get some, a free five hits out of it, five or six. I don't actually remember how many hits you get in Kirby Shimon too. But, um, I, yeah, I always found Rick to be more of a hindrance than he was a help. That he, you can't fly when you're in, when you're on Rick, and that would make the platforming actually more difficult. Uh, in fact, when I went back and replayed the game this morning, that was, that was the one time I died until the final boss, was that I was trying to, I was trying to run on Rick and I was about to fall, and I thought, oh, I just need to get off Rick, and I need to start flying, and I just couldn't do it in enough time, and Rick screwed me at that point. If I wasn't on Rick, I would have just flown over that part, no problem, and it would have been just fine. Rick but, is the cutest animal, though. And and for that, he kind of just gets a pass. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite, the one I'd use the most, is Koo. Uh, Koo the Owl. Koo comes in handy pretty much anywhere. You, he doesn't. His swimming isn't terrible. I mean, it's it's pretty much just like Kirby's, um, and definitely not nearly as good as Keen's. But it's not bad. Um, the only problem is that most of his attacks uh, go down. Most of his abilities uh, deal with something below you because if you're with Koo, you're probably going to be above enemies because he can fly, and there aren't a whole lot of attacks that he has that that do anything up or even to the sides, honestly. Um, the only ones being Paras... The only ones that I can remember, at least, being Parasol, that you can just kind of go anywhere, and then Cutter, which can go up to the side and down all at the same time, because he shoots out feathers. Uh, but Koo, I... Koo is never a hindrance. Like, you could fly, you could swim, you could more or less walk. I mean, you weren't actually walking, you were just flying on the ground. <laughs> but... It didn't change the way Kirby moved as much. It, at least it didn't change it in a negative way. Except I guess that you didn't have a quick jump that Kirby could do off the ground. But you could still just fly. Yeah, <laughs> and, and there was rarely ever any problems. So I would always stick with Koo as long as I could until he would die or until like there was a part where I... Maybe there was a part that had some spikes where I didn't really need to have... A, a bigger hitbox mm -hmm. having two there. Uh, and Keen. He's uh, cute. Oh man, Keen. Uh, it's just, I don't know what to say. When you first get Keen, he seems like an awesome character because you get him in the third world. That's all water and it makes so much sense. And when you first get him, you also probably have the spark ability because you fight a mid boss that has a spark ability so you'll probably take that ability and then get on Keen 
and you'll learn one of the coolest attacks in the game where Keen just has this light bulb in his mouth and it's lit up and Keen's lit up and he looks pretty cool and he kind of looks like he's getting electrocuted. I'm sure he is. <laughs> um, but he turns into like this glow-in-the-dark light with like this little light bulb in front of his face and you can use that as a shield to, to if any enemies run into that light bulb, they'll just pop and explode. You can also shoot that light bulb uh, as a projectile, and it'll go straight. It goes all the way across the screen, and when it hits an enemy or a wall or anything, it explodes into a, a bigger explosion that can take out multiple enemies. It's a wonderful tool, and it's also the only tool and the only ability in the game that allows you to see secret doors. There are a couple of stages. There aren't a whole lot, but there are a couple of um, scenes in the different stages that have darker rooms, and if you have Keen's light bulb ability on, you can see that there are hidden doors that you would never see that would just be white on the background if it was dark that light up and you can actually see, oh, I can go in there, that's a hidden door, and it'll lead you to maybe some extra stars that you can get to get a better one, to get to a one-up, maybe just a one-up itself, uh, health, uh, maximum, maximum tomatoes, or, um, I don't know what the hell those other things are. Water bottles or something. Drinks. Like yeah, some, 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 sort kind of, some sort of drink that he can have. And so Keen seems awesome. And then you get on land and you wonder what happened. <laughs> He's like a fish out of water. Oh, yeah. so we made the pun. The pun was made. Uh, but honestly, yes, he, it really, the, the cliche rings true because if you aren't in the water with Keen, there is no business having Keen in your, uh, with you at that point. Yeah. Uh, just get rid of him. You can't yeah, fly. I just started dim- dismissing him when yeah. I re- recently played through it. Absolutely. You can't fly with him. He doesn't run well. Like, there's, he doesn't even have legs. So yeah, he he, how, could, how could he run well? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned before the podcast started, he kind of looks like Magikarp. Yeah. And, yeah, he kind of does. He's like, he's, he's an, about as useful as Magikarp. He's too. an ocean sunfish, so he's definitely a different species of fish than a carp, what would be Magikarp, but he kind of looks like him, and most of the time he's just as useless. Uh, so that's our word of warning with Keen. He looks interesting. I mean, he doesn't look great. He doesn't look cute. Nah, but he's fine. And just if you're not in water, dismiss him, because he's only going to drag you down. Um... Another thing I'd like to mention about Kirby Streamland 2 before we get into more like abilities and boss things and, and just more more things on there, that this game was actually supposed to be re-released as Kirby's Dreamland 2 DX, um, as as we would get with um, the other Game Boy Color games, uh, Link's Awakening DX and Tetris DX. I think actually those are the only two that have ever gotten the DX treatment of getting original Game Boy games with their deluxe edition um, new colors and things added for um, for the Game Boy Color. Uh, there was... But at the t- same time, when Kirby's Dream Land 2 DX was being made, or at least being thought it was going to be made, uh, there was also a re-release of Metroid 2, The Return of Samus, another Game Boy classic. Um, and it was going to get its own DX version, but both of them ended up getting cancelled, and that's probably because Nintendo just didn't need them, that they were making great Game Boy Color games, and there wasn't really a point. And they were coming up with... And Kirby, Kirby's Dream Land 3 actually moved to the Super Nintendo, 
and for a little while there, Kirby came, Kirby became more of a more of a console thing, console game instead of something on handhelds, or at least mainline Kirby did. We still got things like Kirby's Block Ball and Kirby's um, Tilt and Tumble, and Kirby's Pinball Land actually came out uh, before before Dreamland Two, maybe um, or right after. But it was definitely in that time, too. And we got lots of Kirby spinoff games. But console Kirby kind of became the main Kirby there for a little while uh, until the GBA came out, at least. And then with the the DS, it's actually... DS and 3DS Kirby's kind of returned more of the mainline ones to handhelds. Even though we did get the Wii version of of Return to Dreamland, uh, I would still say handhelds are probably the, the more... The more mainline Kirby's that you're going to get, we'd get we'd get some um, Epic Yarn and Air Ride came to the GameCube and and like I said, Return to Dreamland. But most of the Kirby games you're going to see now are all um, handhelds. Uh, anyway, back to back to just Dreamland Two and other things we we like or hate or whatever we have. Ty, do you have anything you'd uh, want to mention on just things? I think Dreamland Two is the quintessential Kirby game. I don't really know what that means, but it seems appropriate. Um, you got the three animals. None of them are really redundant of each other, like some of the later games. I think you said that some of the animals overlap with each other. Oh yeah, Dreamland Three. I don't. I don't even remember all the names of these animals. You get tons of them. There's there's a little there's a little green bird that if you've played Sonic, kind of looks like a Flicky um, a little bit. And Kirby actually holds this little bird. He doesn't fly at all, but he uses... It's weird. It's like a reverse animal, almost, that because it's Kirby it's doing riding all... Kirby. Yeah, it's Kirby's... Yeah, he's riding Kirby instead of Kirby riding it. There's also uh, a cat that kind of... That basically looks like Rick and more or less functions a lot like Rick, but he rolls Kirby instead of Kirby riding him, and there are lots of things that seem like yarn like his spark ability he kind of paws at kirby like he was a ball of yarn and then that creates some friction that creates some sparks it's just it's it's not as fun and there's just so many of them even even things that you'd see in dreamland 2 like gooey and i forgot the girl version of gooey but there is a girl version of gooey uh those little black or white blobs that you would see if you already had an animal Mm mm-hmm and you got another animal, or if you saved another animal, it would actually be Gooey or this um, this girl Gooey. They become they become actual things that you use in Dreamland Three. Gooey becomes this almost animal thing you can summon at any time, and he's kind of helpful. He just goes around and does his own thing and fights some stuff, and he has his own life bar. And then the girl Gooey actually turn looks more like a like a Pac-Man ghost with, uh, that, like the Pac-Man ghost that killed Miss Pac-Man and took her bow. Um, because it's just like this little pink ghost looking thing with a little red bow and you can get on her and she doesn't really do a whole lot that you, it's, it's just too much. Unnecessary. It's way too yeah. much. Like Dreamland 2, I, I would agree. I think it's, I think if you're saying to somebody, here's what Kirby's all about, you give them a copy of Dreamland 2. Yeah. Even though I think I think Adventure is a wonderful game, and when it was remade as uh, Kirby's Nightmare in Dreamland for the GBA, I love that game. I think it's great. But I just I think it makes 
it's it's definitely more holistic about what Kirby can be, what Kirby can do, and the the simplicity is just so nice in Dreamland too. Mm-hmm. And I think it has the right amount of powers. It's not too many. It's not too little. Um, you're introduced to the animals. Yeah. You're introduced to them in a really in a really set way, uh, where you'll see Rick in the first one because it makes more sense that there's this field and that's where you. I don't know if that's necessarily where you'd find a hamster. I've actually never yeah. seen a hamster in the wild, so I have no idea where you find them. I think they live in Holland. Really? <laughs> I think so. I, I haven't looked up hamster uh, biology for a while, so I'm going to trust Ty on that one. <laughs> Again, if it's wrong, it'll be in the show notes. Um, and then you see Koo in, in this uh, forested area that definitely has some advantages if you can fly a little faster. And you find Keen in the ocean world where he makes so much more sense, and you rarely ever use him again because there's rarely any he's water terrible. again. And yeah, he's terrible. But uh, but yeah, like you said, I think it kind of is the quintessential Kirby game where it just sums up the series really well, and it's always been one of my favorites and one of the first ones I've ever played. Yeah, that's the other thing. It was my first Kirby game too, so. That's where I saw it all. And I'm sure that nostalgia gives us a bit of bias, but I think beyond that, it's just a really solid game. Um, let's let's talk more about abilities. What what are your favorite abilities in Dreamland 2? I, I love the ice, the ice beam. That's what I always called it when I was little. For anyone or for Kirby um, specific? Yeah, Kirby, it's actually good for Keen to fish because it gives him a shield. But of course, in... Keen's spirit, he screws himself over and turns into an ice cube if you hold it too long. It's it's the one time you can screw yourself up uh, with a power, and it's so funny that it's Keen that you just keep it going, and you feel like, oh, this is amazing. I can I can hold this yeah. underwater. I can do I can move while I'm in this. Like I am a moving tank of ice, mm-hmm. and then you become a non-moving <laughs> block of ice, and you're completely vulnerable, and you go, God. Damn it, Keen! What the hell is wrong with you? And it just pisses you off, and then you get off Keen. Yeah, you get off Keen, and you just go back to Kirby. But yeah, I totally agree with you. I think the ice power is probably at least the most practical power in Kirby's Dream Land too. Uh, when you're when you do get a power, what's what's interesting is that when you get a power, you're actually weaker against bosses. That the bosses are set up in a way where you're going to do better if you are just vanilla Kirby. Because they'll always give you a star or some type of projectile that you shoot back at them that does much more damage than you would get from a power. Especially the mid-bosses. Because mm-hmm. each of each of their stars that they give you in some way will take off a whole third of their life if they're shot back at them. Two-thirds if it's a double star like you can get from... I think his name is Efreet, who is the uh, fire one that you'll see first, the fire mid-boss. Or Burning, as it's known later um, in other Kirby games, because they have a fire and a burning. Fire does fireballs, and Burning kind of does that shoot across the screen as a big, as making Kirby his own fireball thing. That's the fire ability that you'd get in in Dreamland 2. But when you're ice... You can freeze those projectiles just like you would any other project or any other enemy or projectile that you might see in in the game in the regular game, and then you can hit them like you could in any other in any part any other part of the game. And when it hits them, it hits them for the same amount of damage that it would for a regular uh, 
for that same regular projectile that they would give you anyway. Mm-hmm. And one of the good things, too, is you don't have to do any special actions. You just freeze the projectile and move toward it, and it slides toward the enemy. Yeah, which, so you, is, which is more or less what you'd be doing anyway if you were trying to suck it up and shoot it back at him. Yeah. So, so you can maneuver while hitting the enemy. It's it's all. I mean, it's awesome. It makes it makes ice make so much sense, and I I always love doing it because it it was a great way of having some protection in front. You freeze an enemy like if you're just in the regular in the regular game proper, you freeze an enemy and you shoot him in front of you, and you can run for a little. You can run for a good stretch, knowing that there's nothing in front of you because whatever is in front of you got destroyed by that ice block you shot. Um, so that one's, yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. That's probably, it's one of the better ones, at least. I think my favorite, uh, I have two real favorites. My absolute favorite is the Umbrella. I, I think the Umbrella, uh, like we were talking about quintessential stuff before, I think it's the quintessential Kirby item. And then it makes, it makes so much sense for Kirby. It's this non, it's this weapon that's really non-violent, that no one would see an Umbrella and go... That's a weapon. You don't get umbrellas taken away from you in airports, and even though you can't bring them into stores, it's like it's it's not because they're dangerous weapons. But with Kirby, it's like he's a pink puffball with an umbrella. Are you going to? What are you going to do? Like, are you? He doesn't. He looks so unassuming, so unintimidating, and yet it's one of the best powers in the game because it gives you. It's it's the only power that actually does something physical to your character and that now he holds the umbrella. Any other power, you just look like regular Kirby until you do something. But when you have the umbrella, you have a shield above you at all times. Um, in fact, one of the times that you get the umbrella, my, my favorite time of having the umbrella in the whole game, is part of the third world, the, the ocean level. You'll get the parasol from a Waddle Dee that comes down with it. Um, but when you suck it up and you get it, Immediately after that part, there's a long stretch of just regular walking. There are no enemies to fight at all, but there are these coconuts that will fall from these palm trees, and if they hit the ground, they'll explode. And they're at slightly different heights, and the terrain changes a little bit, but it's basically just a straight walk. And if you didn't have the umbrella, you could jump up or or suck them up and try to shoot them and, and break them apart, and it'll take a little while, or you can try flying above them, and there, there, there's some enemies that shoot some projectiles at you from there, so it makes it a little harder. But if you have the umbrella, you just do a leisurely little walk across, and when those coconuts hit the umbrella that you're holding, they just pop, and they don't explode like they would before, and you can just take a really, really leisurely walk and just breeze through that whole area. And it's wonderful. And when you actually use it as a weapon... It's used a lot like a sword weapon in, in other Kirby games, but it's so unassuming when you're using it. And it's actually more helpful than a sword because you can hold it out for as long as you want in its in its set position. Like when you bring it down and it's still open, you bring it down and it now functions as a shield in front of you if there was somebody shooting any type of projectile at you and you're safe. You can't move when you're in it, when you're in that um, stance, but it is a whole shield in front of you that you can have for as long as you want. And then its other ability that is less helpful but really cool 
is that when you float down as regular Kirby, or, or when you're falling, not not if you're puffed up and, and actually are flying, but if you're just falling, it kind of catches the air and you kind of parachute down and you can float down and some it gives you actually some really good speed and it's fun to use and if you don't want to be floating down like that you can just press down and then Kirby will just fall at his regular rate he'll um, undo the the umbrella and then he'll just fall down and uh, you can hit enemies like that but it, it makes so much sense. It's it's probably one of the most practical, uh, other than ice, it's probably the most practical in that it has a lot of defensive applications. But uh, it's so weird to be talking about offense and defensive curvy abilities. And umbrellas. <laughs> and, and umbrellas in the same sentence. Uh, I think Cutter's also a really good one. Yeah. Uh, Cutter, especially with Koo, the owl, because like I mentioned before, Koo gets those three... Um, three feathers that he shoots off of his own wings that uh, will go and hit enemies. They actually kind of brought this back in the Wii game, Kirby's Return to Dreamland, that he, uh, that Koo, he, there's no Koo, there are no animals in Return to Dreamland, but when Kirby can turn into Bird Kirby or uh, Feather Kirby, I forgot which one he's called, but he gets this helmet with wings on it, and he can fly, not, not exactly like Koo would, but he flies a little bit, and he flies much faster than he could as a floating Kirby, and he also has the same kind of feather cutter attack that he would have if you were in Dreamland 2 with with, uh, with Koo. And I think that was a nice little reference they made in that game. Uh, other good abilities, uh, Spark I think is pretty much good for anybody, the electricity stuff. Uh, with Kirby it's just a, a nice little shield around them that has some pretty decent range. For Rick the Hamster, he has, um, it works a lot like Joker does in something like Kirby's Adventure or the remake of um, Nightmare in Dreamland or Return to Dreamland. I know it's in all of those, and I'm, I'm sure it's in some other Kirby games, but uh, you just get that little wand of electricity that goes down, and it gets really, really great range in front of you. Um, and then we mentioned Keen with his light bulb before and how awesome that is. Um, until, you know, you're out of water. God damn it, Keen. Uh, any other ones that you really liked? Koo's uh, pretty interesting with the, the thunder. It was sort of a, a lightning bolt thing, like, like Pikachu did, would do from uh, Smash Brothers. Um, it has a kind of a limited range. It doesn't go all the way down to the bottom of the screen, which is a little disappointing. Yeah. And you can't move when you're like that, too, which... I guess makes some sense. It could be kind of a goddish weapon if you if you would be able to swept across the yeah, goddish in in like the true sense of the word of just raining down (laughs) electricity from the sky. Um, But yeah, it is it is definitely a cool looking ability, no matter no matter what. Um, Let's see. I want to talk about bosses if we can for a little bit. Uh, at the moment, let's talk about let's hold it to Dreamland Two, and then if we want to talk about other bosses later, we can do that as well. But uh, I, I think the bosses are pretty good in in Dreamland Two. I mentioned Wispy. I mentioned how much better I think Nruff and Nelly are than Lolo and La La La. But neither of those is actually my favorite boss fight. Uh, I have two that I really like. Uh, one is in the third world with. Um, the ocean world, 
the the boss's name is Sweet Stuff. He's an anglerfish, which is one of those puffy looking fish that has um, has a light, like some kind of illumination thing. They always on, looked all the pissed off. Stem. They look angry and they've got giant ass teeth. And I, I, the real ones you would find super low at the bottom of the ocean. And they use that light to um, bring in smaller food that they then like devour. Yeah, with their God, horrendous they're, teeth. They're pretty fucking awesome creatures. But you fight um, this slightly cuter one in in Kirby. His name is Sweet Stuff, and it's what's interesting about this boss battle is how much it changes depending on one small factor: whether you have Keen or whether you don't have Keen. This is the only, probably the only time where Keen makes something much much easier. This is when Keen turns into Gyarados. <laughs> yes, this is definitely Keen's uh, hyper beam moment, where he, uh, where if you're with Keen, um, and you'll want to be vanilla because again, that that's the way Kirby likes you to fight bosses is is without any of your powers because they're just so weak against bosses. If you have Keen, you can still suck in enemies and spit them out. If you're just regular Kirby or Kirby with Rick or Kirby with Koo, you can only blow bubbles, which do injure things in front of you, but they're not going to injure sweet stuff, and if they could, you don't want to be that close to to him anyway because he has some projectile attacks that he does and a big charge move that he does. But with Keen, there are these... He has other projectile, not not really projectiles that he shoots out, but there are these starfish things that come out that you can suck in and shoot right back at him. And there are also enemies called squishies, which are little squids, that you can do the same thing with. But when you're regular Kirby, all you can do is blow bubbles at those um, starfish, and they'll move <laughs> and, and hope they hit and them. like you can cut through the water and hopefully hit um hopefully hit sweet stuff if he's in the right spot and it makes it so much harder if you're with kirby kirby alone without keen but with keen it is a breeze it is so easy and i think it's really interesting how they make that so different with just a one tiny factor and it's definitely kind of a Kirby thing to do, especially a Kirby's Dreamland 2 thing to do when you're thinking about um, these rainbow shards that are that you find around the game where you need specific abilities to, to get them, uh, which eventually help you to get to the true boss of the game. But it's it's a moment where, man, I really need this one thing, and you need to go find it, but but it makes something come up and make makes the game so much easier. And this boss fight is just so cool in the way it, it changes its dynamic like that. Um, I'll, I'll talk about my second one in a little bit, but what's one that you like, Ty? Uh, I like the, the cloud boss. Krakow? Uh, Krakow, yeah. Um, I guess apparently in the first Dreamland, it was Krakow Jr. as the mini-boss and Krakow as the actual boss. But mm-hmm. in Dreamland 2... It's just small eyeball floating around in the clouds, and you beat that, and it turns into a phase two type thing where he flies around and shoots laser beams. And one of the cheapest sp- things of all boss fights in video games. I I hate it when a boss when you feel like you've beaten a boss, and it goes, oh, I have a second form, yeah. and now I have full health, and and you were so 
You thought you were so lucky that you had one life bar left, and now... There's more. Yeah, now I'm just fully healed again, and you're still screwed. Um, yeah, Krakow's cool, and he's he's definitely a Kirby enemy that has lasted through the ages, like Wispy Woods or like DDD has. I actually had some trouble with it, which is surprising, because this game's fairly easy. Most of the time, the the strategy that I find with Krakow, and it works in 90% of the situations, is if you're in one of the corners. If you're in a corner, he can barely touch you. Um, the He does he shoots out lightning most of the time, and then eventually he'll shoot out an enemy. Uh, in, in Dreamland 1, it was a Waddle Dee. In Dreamland 2, it's two, like, mini Krakow-looking things. Um, or sometimes he'll just shoot out one and sometimes he'll shoot out two. But, um, in, in Dreamland 2, he'll, he won't shoot his lasers all around like he does in Dreamland 1, but he, he does kind of have another laser attack where he shoots specific shots around the screen. And most of the time, they'll never hit you if you're in one of the corners, uh, there's only one spot on the entire screen in his pattern that he'll actually go to the spot where it would hit you in the corner. And it's pretty easy to tell that it is going to hit you, so you could jump at the right time or, or move out of the way. But if you stay on the corners, he he does kind of this U-shaped dive bomb move that will never hit a corner. Um, and his electricity won't ever hit you in any of the corners. And you'll have plenty of time to suck up any of the enemies he shoots out at you. Um for that. That's always been my um, my way of, my strategy for beating Krakow. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make him any less of a bastard. <laughs> uh, but he's definitely a cool cool enemy. Somebody you'll see, uh, see show up in lots of other, especially early Kirby games. I, I know he makes an appearance in uh, Block Ball and Dream Course, the, uh, the Super Nintendo golf kind of game. Um, but he's, he's definitely a cool character, uh, and not somebody you really see a whole lot anymore, and that's kind of disappointing. Like, I don't see, I'm pretty sure Wispy Woods was in Return to Dreamland, but I don't think Krakow was, if I, if I remember right. That's disappointing, because he is, he's definitely an iconic, an iconic boss of Kirby. Um... Well, we didn't mention one of my other favorite ones, which is from the fifth area, which is more of a canyon area, uh, and that is Mr. Bright and Mr. Shine, who are the sun and moon, um, respectively. They are anthropomorphic sun and moon, and they'll fight you one at a time while the other one is in the sky. So it's kind of it's kind of this cool little day-night cycle kind of thing. And when one of them's down, the other one's up in the sky, so you can know whether it's day or night. So if the sun is up in the sky, you'll be fighting the moon, and it'll be daytime. And the sun, despite not being anthropomorphic and just being a regular sun at that point, will shoot down sunbeams that will turn into stars that you can use to attack uh, the moon, uh, Mr. Shine. And then when Shine goes back up and turns into the regular moon, it gets dark. There are some meteor showers that happen when you, as you fight against the sun. Can't they do an eclipse type of attack too? And that's what they'll do in the. Uh, that's what they'll do when they switch. When they're about to switch, or when they, they'll kind of go in a pattern. So one will come down, 
then he'll go up, the other will come down, and then they'll both attach together, and they'll do an eclipse. Which, just kind of a cool mechanic of how can we make this day-night cycle attack boss fight a little more interesting? Mm-hmm. Well, what do these other things have in common? Well, they have an eclipse. That's the thing they do. So when you have an eclipse, the moon gets in front of the sun, just like it would in that. But in this, it casts a shadow on one specific part of the screen. And Kirby needs to get in that shadow, because then the sun will make this big area attack that hits everywhere around the screen, except for the shady spot that you'll get from the eclipse from the moon. And it's just a fun, it's a fun little mechanic, and it was something that that's kind of simple, but it makes it makes so much sense, and it just ties very well together, and it's very well designed, and it's just a fun boss fight. It's kind of hard. It's a, it's one of the more difficult boss fights in the game, but it's just fun. I like it. Um, I should mention, though, I like the mid-boss fights, the, the mini-bosses, a lot more than I like any of the, any of the big main bosses. Uh, none of the main bosses will ever give you a power of any kind. Uh, when you fight them, they're just vanilla... And, Go on to the next level. Yeah, and it really helps you to be vanilla for the next stage, for the next uh, world, because I, I think that's probably what the developers were hoping you'd do. But for the mid the mid bosses, they'll usually they'll, they'll always give you a power because each of them is associated with a different power. I'm not going to remember all their names, and I'm not even going to try. But there are a couple that I remember. I mentioned Efreet before. That's uh, the fireball. He looks like a I don't know, he kind of looks like a black fireball yeah. with little legs. Couple legs. And some eyes. And he'll, like, get angry and he'll do basically what Kirby his does power. when he's a fireball mm-hmm. and just shoot across the screen and you jump out of his way, he hits a wall, and you get a star that you can hit against him. Um, there's also a ninja, and his name starts with K, and it's kind of short, and it's just one name. And I don't remember what it is because it's not English-looking. Um... And he's he's an interesting boss. He'll give you the cutter ability when you fight him, or when you defeat him and, and take his power. But he shoots little shurikens at you, and uh, he can actually be kind of difficult because he also has this weird star smoke fire. Bomb. Yeah, I guess is is it a smoke ball? I Could guess that, I guess ball. that makes some sense. Uh, that will bounce around the screen a little bit and then go right up in the air. So it's something that's a little more difficult to just float right over because it will come up and, and try to attack you at that point. Um, but I think that's I think it has something to do with fire, though, because if Kirby actually ever touches it, he gets burned oh, yeah. and, and, and jumps around a little bit. Um, but he's he's definitely a cool one, and he gives you a really cool ability. Cutter's a great ability, whether you're with Kirby or or with an animal companion. Unless you're with Rick. Uh, Rick just turns Kirby into a boomerang and turns on, turns to be really vulnerable. Slow. If you don't hit anything, and very slow. So, uh, sorry that we jumped back to Animal Companions, but that's just something you should know. They're important. Uh, there's also Captain Stitch, which gives you the, um, the porcupine ability, the, the spikes. And, and he's kind of interesting. He'll throw his spikes at you occasionally, and then quickly regenerate his own spikes or he'll do an attack similar to Ifrit where he'll just try to charge right at you and you have to jump over him and he hits the wall but this time he loses his spikes and is 
more or less naked for a little bit. He actually turns uh, turns a white color, mm-hmm. and it's a little surprised face. Yeah, it has a surprised face, like "Oh God, I'm naked! What's what's happening?" And don't look, Kirby. You'll, <laughs> and you'll definitely have some extra time to to suck in those spikes and shoot them back at him. Uh, so he's pretty cool. He actually has. Uh, we'll get into that later. Uh, there's also Master Green, which is a big, bigger squid who shoots electricity sparks at you. Uh, there is Mr. Frosty, who is a big walrus who does, uh, uh, who like tries, who jumps across the screen and does some icy attacks and kind of almost works as like a like a rotor rooter kind of thing, where he just kind of like just goes across the screen in this big zamboni style of spitting ice around. Oh man, I'm I'm coming up blank with some other ones. There's, there's the umbrella. There's the umbrella guy who kicks his little sandal off. There's blocky. Which I think that's a, inspired by some Japanese monster. Is there? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. He is sandal wearing umbrella. Sandal wearing umbrella. That's a cyclops. I I don't. Not surprising. I don't not believe it. <laughs> uh, there's blocky, which is really just a little rectangle uh, that gives you the yeah. rock ability. It is sort of a charging attack too. He does a bit of a charge. Most of the time, he feels like a Smash Brothers Kirby player, um, where he just tries to jump on top of you and then stone right down on top of you. And uh, it's pretty easy to fight him. I think he's probably the easiest one of the bunch. There might be others. If there are, I forgot them, and I'm sorry. And I'll write them in the show notes. But um, I think the two the two mid-boss fights that I find interesting... Um, or just the reason I like mid-boss fights in general is that they change. That you'll al- they'll always fight the normal bosses in the same way. They'll, you only face them once. You'll face them on the same screen every time, and and it's just it's the same fight. And when you know how to do it, you know how to do it, and you're done. You don't have any further strategy you need to do. And when you replay it, it actually lowers the replay value a bit because you you know exactly what to do each time. Mm-hmm. But with the mid-bosses, the even though they don't change, they always do the same patterns, they're always going to do the moves that they can do, the environments that you fight them in change. And you'll fight them at least, I'd say at least two or three times. Some of them maybe only two. Most of them I'd say probably three, sometimes even more. You'll fight them multiple times over the course of the game, and the environments in which you'll fight them change pretty dramatically. There's one fight, uh, I can remember two good examples of this. One is with a fight with Captain Stitch, which is the, the spike guy. You'll be in this really enclosed space. And the first time you fight him, you're in a more open space that if you try to float way above him, he can float too. And he'll just float right along with you and try shooting your spikes, try shooting his spikes at you there. And it makes it much harder to hit him uh, because he'll be in the air way farther higher than you could ever get to. But you then fight him, I think a second time, or maybe even the third time you fight him, in a very enclosed space. And he doesn't have that option of flying up in the air, even though he would, like, even if he does, it's still at a point where you can suck in his spikes and jump up and shoot him, because there's, there's not that much room. But it also hampers you because you don't have that room to just float over him if something, if he's about to shoot his spikes. You need to like actually know how to jump and know the timing and spacing for those kind of things. And it changes the fight quite a bit, and it's pretty cool. 
Another uh, another one that I should mention, probably my favorite change to a boss fight that in the entire game is when you're fighting Master Green, the electricity shooting squid. This is much later in the game, uh, probably in the th- I'd say Krakow stage, which I think is six, the sixth world. That normally when you fight him, it's been again in a bigger open space. And he has sometimes where he jumps and shoots some electricity at you, and then he'll shoot these stars. Sometimes he'll jump up in the air and throw the star down, and sometimes he'll just throw the star in a big arc. And that's the time where you can suck in the star and shoot it back at him. But in in this particular fight, when you're in the Krakow uh, world, which I cloud something or other, I don't remember the names of the, of the stages, but there's a really harsh wind blowing. And you're probably not going to have coup at this point. If you have coup, I don't think it actually really changes the fight that much, other than coup would be able, if he really tried, if he really wanted to, he'd be able to fight that air current and go to across the screen wherever he wanted. But if you're just regular Kirby, or if you're Kirby with Rick or Keen, you're going to be blown by that breeze if you get up over this wall that's kind of blocking the breeze at that point, where you can actually fight him in this small arena. But if you try to float above him or jump above him, jump above uh, Master Green to avoid his attacks, you can get picked up and blown by that wind and you go all the way to one corner. And because the wind only blows in one direction the whole time, you can get caught in that corner pretty easily. And then I think, it might just be my own experience, but I think the the mid-boss there actually shoots more of his lightning bolts at you that you can't suck in or shoot back at him, that they're just projectiles that you need to avoid. And it makes it much harder, and it really changes the dynamic of the fight, and it was always it's always cool to see something that's slightly familiar, but they tweak it just slightly, and it's, and it's a time where I actually don't mind refighting these bosses, especially, yeah. especially later in the game where you... Um, they, they do kind of a typical typical video game thing of forcing you through a boss gauntlet in the final stage, in the final um, world, the the King Dedede's Castle, each of the stages that you go to has its own mid-boss that you have to fight at the end that is the same mid-boss that you fought in some of the previous worlds. And you don't mind because you just wonder, well, how is the dynamic going to change in this one this time? And it's it makes for something that feels fresh as you play, even even on multiple attempts, or even if you're just playing it once and you see it the multiple times, you don't mind because you know that you're going to get a power out of it, and you know usually you'll get an animal companion out of it too. That's uh, that's where the animals are usually kept uh, by these mid bosses, and uh, it it I think it makes for a really cool really cool time where you're doing those things. Do you agree? Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, they're familiar, but at the same time, they're changed enough that it's it stays interesting mm-hmm. um, without actually adding any new abilities or anything like that to them. Well, speaking of abilities, let's talk about that. Let's go more general now. Let's let's talk about our favorite Kirby abilities. And before you answer, uh, we've got some fan feedback here from our from our Twitter account here at at GOTG Podcast is the Twitter handle. Uh, AJ Hurst, who has been uh, who was on the show last week or last, <laughs> I haven't done it for a week, but um, our last show, which was Medios and Luminous, 
he wrote in, and he, I know for a fact uh, AJ is my co-host on World 8, and I've heard many times him talk about how much he loves Kirby's Superstar. And even though Dreamland 1 and Dreamland 2 are not Superstar, he definitely has an opinion. Uh, so we asked what your favorite Kirby ability is, and this is what he wrote. He said Dreamland 2, he thought Dreamland 2 actually had a poor selection of abilities. Uh, if he had to pick, it would be Cutter, but he really likes Plasma and Yo-Yo from, you guessed it, Kirby Superstar. But those are his favorites. Um, and as Ty and I have mentioned, we we don't really see it that way because Ice and Parasol and there are a lot of good ones. Uh, but Cutter is a great great one mm-hmm. uh, for Vanilla Kirby or for Keen or for uh, Koo. Uh, I think for Rick or or maybe even for Keen, they're probably not the the best ones. But but Cutter is definitely great. Uh, and then we have Matt Jaguer, who was actually on the first episode of Gamers on the Go. For Super Mario Land, he wrote it wasn't in the Game Boy game, uh, Game Boy Advance games. I think he just meant in in the Game Boy games in general. Uh, but he always liked the Super Jump, and um, like that was uh, that was something. It wasn't in Dreamland Two, but it showed up in Adventure, I believe, and then in the remake of Adventure that we've talked about, Kirby's Nightmare in Dreamland, and then I absolutely know that it's in Return to Dreamland on the Wii. Um, where Kirby would get uh, a little cape and like sometimes a little helmet, and that he would power up a little bit, and then he would shoot up in the air, almost like a fireball that would go straight up, but then you could also slightly change his trajectory while you're in the air, and, and it would give you... You'd usually get it when you really needed it, and you'd almost never get it when you didn't, just the way they designed those games, but if you were like going up... A, long, a big tree, a big hollowed out tree, you might get it at the bottom and you'd be able to shoot up past a lot of things that you wouldn't be able to do uh, if you were just regular Kirby or you'd be floating and vulnerable as you were going up. But Super Jump really was helpful. So I think that's a good call. He also says he likes the combo of Rock with Rick uh, or Stone with Rick. And I don't know if that's something we mentioned on the podcast. It's definitely something we talked about right before. Yeah. But uh, that, that's a decent power. It is. I I personally don't like Stone pretty much at all. I, I never found it that useful in any of the Kirby games. But I find it really helpful in Smash Brothers. But I don't I don't see it as something I would ever really use as much in these games. But there are a couple times where Kirby with Rick makes a lot of sense because uh, when you get the Stone, Rick turns into this giant boulder. And Kirby balances on top and will roll it, uh, roll it left or right depending on which direction you go. Yeah. And he just is able to keep balancing on that, and it's it's a pretty fun looking sight. It's and a good combination. It's just like a boy and his blob, <laughs> and you just roll around and flatten things. Yeah, because he's such a big boulder and he has such large surface area, you're going to be able to. He's so tall that you're able to crush most of the things that you'll ever see in front of you. And unless there's a flying enemy like a like a Bronto Bert or something like that uh, that can jump and hit you from above, you're pretty safe the whole time. And the, there are two specific times you get it. One is in the ice world, and one is in the canyon world, where it just comes in handy and you just fly Roll through. through the yeah, you just just destroying things, and it's wonderful. Matt also has something that he'd like us to discuss uh, before we get into our own complete favorite powers for Kirby. Uh, he says, "Topic point: Kirby is the character with the great with great dance moves, or the greatest dance moves." 
Ty, I'm going to let you answer first. What do you think? Well, he does have backup dancers. You know, you can split into how how many, however many he wants, I guess. Yeah, and I think there's usually two extras that come around in Dreamland and Dreamland 2. Yeah. And I know I've seen some other ones, other numbers in other games. What do you think, though? Um, who else can dance? I mean, if I'm thinking dancers in games, um, Ooh La La and Space Channel 5... Mm-hmm. Um, who is she? She's just some bimbo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael Jackson has Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. Yeah. Though Kirby does a mean moonwalk in Dreamland 1 when you defeat Wispy Woods, the, the very first boss, the very first dance you see, Kirby does a pretty sick moonwalk. And Kirby's ability to... <laughs> like, I say ability like it's a copy ability, <laughs> but just his regular... Dance ability. Just, like his dancing abilities... He's able to change direction in midair and almost like he's some crazy mime where he can like crush himself and he's just in midair in total, in total, like nothing's stopping him. There are no walls or anything, but it like suck himself in and compress himself and then he'll shoot himself out another yeah. direction. It's like that's pretty impressive. I, I think, uh, I think I gotta go with Matt. I think mm-hmm. he's probably the best dancer in video games. I, I disagree. I gotta go with Radical Rex. I don't even know who Radical Rex is. Please, please elaborate. It's a Sega Genesis game. Look it up. <laughs> I'll have to do that after the podcast. Oh, okay. Uh, I think another one you mentioned before before we started was Sonic the Hedgehog. Kind of does some breakdancing stuff. Yeah, he's got that recently. He, yeah, I know it's a it's a taunt that you can do in Brawl, um, and I think he does it in maybe some other things. But can't go wrong, Sonic. <laughs> But uh, I, I think Kirby gives him a run for his money. Uh, no pun intended with the running thing. But, uh, but yeah, Kirby, Kirby can cut a rug. Anyway, back to powers. What, uh, what I think? What is your favorite power in all of Kirby games? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I beat King Dedede just recently in Kirby's Dreamline Two with the cutter. So that's that's impressive because it takes. I think it takes four hits for each life bar that he has yeah. and he has quite a few life bars well the good thing about cutter in that game is you can send out multiple boomerangs and uh king ddd falls asleep for whatever reason so you can hit him a couple times throw some and they'll come back and hit him as he's jumping at you so and that's one of my favorites right i really now. think that's the only one you could use against ddd and and win I, i'm trying to think of other ones and I just don't see it. Even ice. I, I when I first the got to him, I had too ice. Short. Yeah, the range is too short. And anytime he gives you stars, he's usually pretty quick to to come back and attack you. Yeah. I tried a couple powers. Fire didn't work at all because you're just flying around, smashing yeah. into walls. Um, ice didn't work. Range is too short. I think most of them, especially when you're with vanilla Kirby, you get no range. And the way they the way they set it up, the way how laboratories set up that boss fight or that stage. You lose your animal companion no matter what. You're not yeah. The able opening to, is too small. Yeah, you're not able to jump up with them. So there's there's not a way that you could just use like spark with coup to just lord over <laughs> him and, and shoot electricity at him the whole time. Uh, although I'd I'd like to see what you could do. Like I wonder if there's maybe like a ROM hack of that game at some point where I could see like what would happen if you could just pick a power. Like that would be a really cool just mini game somewhere. Pick your pick your animal companion. Pick your uh, power. Fight DDD. See what happens. 
And I think that'd be pretty cool. See where it goes. What's your favorite power? I think my favorite power, uh, most of them actually come from Kirby's Return to Dreamland on the Wii. And it's because Kirby's Return to Dreamland was the first game that I've seen where an ability wasn't just one attack. That an ability actually gave you a range of uh, things that you could do with just the one power. Uh, I really liked Water Kirby in that game. Uh, you're able to surf on the tops of water just by running over them. Uh, you get uh, an ability to just shoot this water, um, almost like a submarine missile kind of thing that just goes across the across the floor, and it's just water. But it goes across the floor and it hits anybody in front of him on on the ground. Uh, and then he also has like a big um, geyser attack that he can he can summon. And so Water Kirby, I find really helpful. He also runs really well because he just kind of puts water underneath and then you just surf on land, which then is really cool when you go from land to water and it's just one smooth motion. Uh, so he's really cool. Like I mentioned before, Bird Kirby from that game too, where he, he functions a lot like Koo with, mm-hmm. with Cutter. Um, I'm really liking Spear Kirby though, uh, from, from again, Return to Dream. Oh yeah. Because it's, it's a projectile attack that has a nice little arc and the, the longer you hold it and charge it up, you can throw three spears at once, uh, which which is pretty helpful. But the reason, the only reason you would ever use that is <laughs> what uh, my friends have have referred to as the Waddle Copter, because in that game you can play as uh, Waddle D, uh, Meta Knight, or or King DDD, and they each have their own set weapon, and they don't actually get a copy ability. So DDD has his big hammer and Meta Knight has a sword, and the Waddle Dee has a spear. And when you use the spear, you can also charge it up and use it as a little helicopter and fly around the stage pretty quickly and then have complete uh, safety above you because you have that big spinning spear. And it lasts for a decent amount of time, too. So you just kind of get this helicopter action. And it's, it's so fun to do, and it looks cool, and ah, it's great. Uh, a couple of my other favorite abilities come from uh, one, of the, one of what I consider to be most underrated Kirby games, and I would think most people say I'm silly, uh, but it's Kirby 64, the Crystal Shards, uh, which I'll admit, as far as like the actual game and the level design and most of the design, it's kind of on the weaker side. But it has one really awesome thing going for it, and that is the power mixing that you can do. You can have one power, and then you can get one of the other powers. Like, you can take any two powers and be able to combine them into one big star and suck that up, and then you get that double combo, and that can change. It, it makes it it makes the game so much more complex, because it turns from having whatever the set number of powers is, to... I mean, I don't... Exponential. Well, yeah, it's definitely exponential because you get that that second one for any of them. So you can combine, say, something like Cutter with something like Spark, and you'll get an awesome double-bladed lightsaber that's like this sweet green lightsaber. And it came out, you know, around the time that Star Wars Episode One did, so mm-hmm. I'm sure they were uh, inspired, inspired by, by Darth Maul. And I'm really glad they brought it in, because it looks really, really cool. Or, um, 
so that one's probably another one of my favorites. I really like Rock and Cutter because uh, that will turn into the, Kirby will turn into these different statues, and each of them has slightly different powers on that depending on what you are. Some of them are able to jump. Some of them are just like this rock armor that you can do. One of them is actually um, a statue of Koo, Keen, and Rick. And even though you can't ever use them in that game, they, they show up as just like a little cameo as one of those statues. And, and that's kind of cool. Uh, there are tons of abilities in that. I've probably forgotten what some of the really great ones are. But the, the awesomeness that is the double-bladed lightsaber has to be up there for, it has to be up there for one of my favorite ones, at least. So, uh, so that's cool. Um, in that kind of same vein, we, we've talked about it as the quintessential Kirby game, but do we actually think that Kirby's Dream Land 2 is the best Kirby game out there? And uh, the best plane? Uh, I know we've kind of talked about it as the most representative of the Kirby series, mm-hmm. but, uh, is, is it necessarily your favorite Kirby game? Probably, just because I'm so familiar with it, and I've played it the most. Though I will say Return to Dreamland is is pretty high up there. Um, you know, it's got exclusive characters with all their own different weapons and stuff, and it's got all of Kirby's abilities. So, that's a pretty good contender. Yeah. But I, I would definitely tend to agree with that. Um, I, I thought Kirby's Return to Dreamland actually was a little too long. Which is weird for a Kirby game. <laughs> weird for me to say that for a Kirby game. Uh, but it just... I wanted something short. And it was actually more like a medium-sized game. And there are a couple times where it pulls the rug out under you going, Oh, you think you finished the game? No, no. Yeah, actually, you have much more to do. It's very Zelda in that in that fashion. Mm-hmm. It is a, bit, a little bit too collecty too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But um, I actually like some Kirby games that... Uh, <laughs> some some kind of weird ones. I talked about Crystal Shards. I really like that, just for the power mixing. Um, I guess I like Kirby's Adventure. I've actually never played Kirby's Adventure, but I love the remake Kirby's Nightmare in Dreamland, which is the same game. And and that's always a solid one. I, I played that on my Game Boy Advance. Uh, I got it right before I got on a plane to uh, to Florida one, one um, winter. I was I well not always but I sometimes get to go there with my family for Christmas break and just having a new Kirby game to play for that whole plane ride was awesome yeah. and it, it yeah. it's something that stuck with me a lot and it's always been a fun game and it made me it brought me into the wonders of Wheel Kirby which is something I didn't mention <laughs> before but Kirby gets this little backwards hat and he can turn into uh, this wheel that just will crush anything in front of it and he goes super quickly and there it's always it's always a great power uh so i really like kirby's nightmare in dreamland um another one that's really interesting kirby's canvas curse for the for the ds it's it it's not a kirby game and at the same time it's a kirby game it's it's not that's how you describe a kirby (laughs) game really i mean it's it's not a typical platformer, and it, you're not directly controlling Kirby. What you do is you draw these rainbow lines that the Kirby, Kirby who is always in ball form, will, um, will if he gets on it, it acts as kind of a, um, like a treadmill almost that will shoot Kirby in one direction. So you use it to platform around the stage completely with the stylus, 
And it was a, I don't know if it was a launch, I don't think it was a launch DS game, but it was definitely one of the early DS games that really showed off what a touchscreen could do. And it was a great, it was a great piece by Nintendo to, to say, this is the power of this console. This is how you can do some really interesting innovation with the touchscreen. Because I think most people saw a, a Game Boy with four buttons on yeah. it, and it was like, okay, I, I get that, and it has two shoulder buttons, that looks great. Why would I ever use a touch screen? And they were also thinking, why would I ever need two screens? Mm-hmm. What what's that ever gonna do? And and they had some interesting implementation of that as well in in um in a Canvas Curse. But it even though it wasn't a Kirby game, because there wasn't a whole lot uh, of platforming, it still had copy abilities that you could grab and when you tapped on Kirby he would use those abilities. So he could still turn into stone and sink in water that you would need at other times, because other times he would just float, and you'd need to, like, make those same rainbow strips that you'd usually mark under him when you're above the water and you're using gravity. When you know that he's going to be floating up, you need to be using the things above him to try to move him in those directions as, like, a reverse gravity. Mm-hmm. And when you had stone, he'd still he'd sink all the way to the bottom so that you could use him for a couple of interesting ways in that sense. Uh, so that was a really cool game, just in the way that it showed some innovation. Uh, I thought Epic Yarn was a was a fun game, but without the copy abilities in that, I, I just didn't find myself having as much fun. Definitely was a really beautiful game, and mm-hmm. a really interesting direction for Kirby. Uh, that one actually didn't start out as a Kirby game. It, the, the second main character in that, Prince Fluff, it was actually a game that was supposed to be all about him. And Nintendo saw this and said, you know, that's a really cool game. You know, if we could just have it be a Kirby game instead, like, because it kind of fits, really in, fits into our Kirby universe, it would definitely make a ton more money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody likes money, <laughs> and it, it turned out to be a pretty cool game, uh, despite not really being a true Kirby game. Um but it always disappoints me when a Kirby game comes out and doesn't have the power abilities. Yeah. Something like Kirby's Mass Attack. I haven't played it, and I don't really <laughs> want to, because it's more about having a bunch of Kirbys and like some ability, some slight abilities that you can get that, but it's not, I'm sucking in an enemy, I'm taking his power, and now I can yeah. do that stuff. That's it's, the whole fun for yeah, me. Yeah, that, that's really what Kirby's all about. Yeah. Uh, and not originally about, but it's what he became, and now it's what he's known for. And to take that away from him in some of these games like Epic Yarn, or or like um, like Mass Attack, or even some of the spinoff things that even somewhat make sense, like Tilt and Tumble, or Dream Course, or Block Ball, those are all just regular Kirby, and without having the powers, it doesn't feel quite right. It doesn't feel quite authentic mm-hmm. in the same sense that you'd get from something like Dreamland 2 um, or Dreamland 3 or Adventure or Nightmare in Dreamland or Amazing Mirror. I'm just, I'm not going to name off all the Kirby games, but um, or Return to Dreamland. <laughs> um, but I think uh, I think we've probably talked, talked way too long about Kirby's Dreamland 1 and 2. But uh, I'm pleased. Uh, these are these are two great games. Yeah, especially Dreamland Two. Especially Dreamland Two. Definitely one of my favorites. It was one that I always played as a kid, 
and uh, and I loved going back to it for this podcast, and I'm I'm really glad I got to play it again and and revisit one of my really favorite games and and a game that I feel is really well designed. Yeah. So uh, let's get to plugs here. Ty has really nothing to plug. Ty is a bit of a. I I am something. I didn't want to quite say hobo. You're more <laughs> like a. I don't know. What's a good word for hobo? <laughs> there, there is no good word for hobo. Maybe a ram a rambler. Eh, you're, you're a bandito. Like a, I'm a bandito. Like one of those people who moves around a lot. Like a nomad. You're you're a nomad. Okay. You know, I don't eat berries you're not off really, the ground, but you're not really set in one place. You don't got a Twitter, you don't have a, a Facebook. I don't yeah, I mean I'm Tumblr, not, the I'm only not. tumbling I do is downstairs. <laughs> I'm gonna definitely gonna try to fix you up with Pinterest. Nah, I won't do that. Please don't do yeah, that. Yeah, not gonna happen. But uh but yeah, if you wanna if you wanna get a hold of Ty don't. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't, don't do it. It's not gonna, it's not gonna go you well. You can send me mail, but I'm not gonna give you my address. <laughs> but you can get in touch with me or the show. I, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Chase Kenneke, C-H-A-S-E underscore K-O-E-N-E-K-E. You can, uh, follow the show, as I mentioned before, at G-O-T-G podcast. You can send us email, G-O-T-G podcast at gmail.com. And then our Facebook page is now is live and up there now, and we put up updates and ask some questions from that occasionally. And that's facebook.com slash GOTG podcast. So for Ty and me, I think we're going to call that a show. Not sure exactly what the next show will be or when it will be. It's uh, just kind of whenever I get a chance, but with summer, and I've got some free time. Hopefully it'll be soon. And, um... Since we've had two, since we had a Game Boy game, it probably won't be from the Game Boy era. Era, but um, we'll we'll have to see what happens next. So, thank you again, Ty, for coming on. Anytime, and uh, I'll see the rest of you guys soon. Bye. <laughs>